Church, today we return to this story, the book of Exodus, the story of Exodus. So let me invite you to open up uh, God's Word with me to that portion of uh, the Bible, the second book of the Bible. I forgot to look what page it is on a pew Bible, but it's page 56 in my Bible, so maybe somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, We're in Exodus chapter 7 today, and if you're visiting with us, we began our journey in Exodus a number of uh, weeks ago, even a few months ago now, and have paused over the last couple months uh, to look at other material and other series, particularly as it related to Advent, to Christmas, the coming of Christ. But now we return to uh, this portion of uh, God's Word. And as the video portrayed uh, there, God had made a promise. He had made a promise uh, thousands of years ago now uh, to Abraham. And he had called Abraham to be uh, a servant of his, to trust him, to go where he uh, led him where he would lead him and ultimately to make his offspring numerous, to make his offspring into a great nation and ultimately to bless all nations of the world uh, through his offspring. But at this point in the story, that has not happened. They do not yet have a land of their own. They've become slaves in Egypt. Hundreds of years have passed. And even so, God has been faithful all along. God has called and he has spared. He has Uh, sovereignly and miraculously intervened and spared the life of a a baby boy named Moses. And Moses grew up and was raised in Pharaoh's palace as a son of his daughter. Moses grows up and he commits murder, becomes a fugitive on the run. He runs into the wilderness, into uh, the desert. And while he is there, uh, the Lord appears to him through a burning bush and says that he has heard the groaning of his people and that he is going to deliver them and he is sending Moses to be the agent who would lead uh, his people out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses reacts to this and says, No way, Lord. You've got the wrong guy. I cannot do this. I'm not equipped to do this. And the Lord convinces Moses that, No, Moses, you are the guy and I'm going to work through you. And despite your inadequacies, the Lord says he's going to work in a, a mighty and powerful way. And he sends Moses, sends Moses' brother Aaron with him to speak on Moses' behalf. And so we return to this story in Exodus chapter 7. And as we jump back into the story, the central question of the Exodus looms large. And it is this, who is the Lord? Who is this Lord? Who is this God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who has heard the groaning of his oppressed people and is coming now to the rescue? Who is he? Who is this one who appears to Moses in the wilderness and commands him to go and deliver the enslaved Israelites? Who is this Lord who demands Pharaoh's submission? Who is he? The book of Exodus is a book about who he is. Friends, he is Yahweh. The one who just is. The God who has always been and who will always be. This book is about Him and His desire for His people to know Him. God wants all to know that He is God and there is no other. The one and only God, the God of the Scriptures, the God that we gather in the name of this morning, the God who appears to Moses and calls Moses, the God who desires to, uh, to, to know us and to be known by us and to use us, this one wants all to know that He is God and that there is no other. His Word teaches us just that. So as is our practice here, let's look at His Word together. And as you find your place in Exodus chapter 7, let me invite you to open up God's Word, and to join me standing, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word. Exodus chapter 7, 
verses 8 through 13. The Bible reads this way. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, Take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Verse 11, Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Would you bow with me? Father, we gather this morning to worship you. We gather desiring to glorify your name and to hear from you, Lord. We know that you are with us in spirit, and we pray now, Lord, that your spirit's presence and power would be made known in our lives, Lord, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe the truth, the truth that you have for us. And, Lord, may our lives be shaped by your truth. Guide us to that end. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, next week, we'll jump back in. We'll pick up right here where we're leaving off, and we're going to look at the plagues. We've all heard of the plagues, these horrendous displays of God's judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. But even more than that, even more than judgment on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, we'll see that these judgments were pronouncing God's superiority over Egypt's gods. In other words, God's goal wasn't and isn't to make sinners miserable. God is not mad at you. Friends, God loves you and is broken over your sin. This reminds me uh, of a conversation that comes up, more of a statement, less of a conversation with my two-year-old at present. He says when he gets in trouble or there's a rule or a boundary he doesn't like or discipline that follows, he says, you're mean. And my son, I, I think he's pretty smart. He's not a genius. And I have no idea how to enter into a conversation about that with him at this stage of his life. But in his mind, uh, any kind of boundary or rule that he doesn't like, uh, any kind of discipline in response to breaking it, uh, is simply being mean. You're either nice or you're mean. Sometimes we don't understand the way that people in positions of authority over us operate, and the same is true with God. But like the perfect parent, God wants what is best for you. And He knows that knowing Him is what's best for you. God wants all people to know that He is God and that there is no other, no one like Him, no one beside Him, no one equal to Him, no one worthy of worship like Him, not the God of Islam, not the gods of Hinduism, not the gods of the Greeks or the Romans or the Egyptians. Numbers chapter 33 verse 4 recounts Israel's leaving Egypt and we read these words. It says the Israelites set out from Ramesses on the 15th day of the first month, the day after the Passover. They marched out defiantly in full view of all the Egyptians who were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. For the Lord had brought judgment on their gods. The Lord was showing that He alone is God. He wants all to know that He is God and there is no other. Soon these delivered Israelites would receive 
God's law, His instruction on how to live and to walk with Him and to honor Him, to know Him, Yahweh would remind them in the giving of the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, that He is the Lord, their God, who brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In other words, this is who I am and this is what I've done for you. You shall have no other gods before Me. The first and most foundational commandment of the Ten Commandments. Worship God alone. Martin Luther, the great theologian and leader of the Protestant Reformation, said, where the heart is rightly set toward God and the first commandment is observed, all the other commandments follow. Again and again, God would remind His people who He is and what He has done for them. In fact, a generation later, as the delivered Israelites prepared to enter the promised land, the Lord would remind them to remember His mighty deeds, to remember who He is, to remember what He's done and why He has done it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 34 and 35, He says, Has any God ever tried to take for Himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds? Like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. In other words, has any other God done this? Has anyone else done what I have done for you? He says, you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides Him, there is no other. Friends, God wants all to know that He is God and there is no other. And then again later, after God's people have entered the land, God reminds them through Joshua, who was Moses' successor, He reminds them, Joshua 24, verse 14, to fear the Lord and to serve Him with all faithfulness, to throw away the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord, serve Him alone. In other words, not only did the Egyptians worship false gods and serve false gods, but Joshua tells us that many of the Israelites living as slaves in Egypt began to worship and serve those same gods as well. A reminder that we are influenced by those we run with. We're influenced by the content that we consume, by the distractions of the day. But this story, this book, this word, God's word, teaches us again and again that the God above all gods... The one and only God, the incomparable, matchless one, the almighty maker and sustainer of heaven and earth. This one invites us to know him. Friends, God invites us to know him. Yes, he is sovereign. He is transcendent. He is lofty and majestic and splendid. He is on his throne of heaven. He is high above us, and yet He invites us to know Him and to know Him intimately. You see, like the judgment scenes in Revelation, the purpose of the plagues in Exodus is that sinners may see the mighty hand of God and turn to Him. That people may come to know Him. His judgment is always mingled with mercy, for He wants all to know that He is God and there is no other. Judgment and mercy. You see, the story of the Exodus is the story of the gospel. It's closely tied to the story that we just celebrated over the last couple weeks during Christmas. John, the evangelist, the disciple, reminds us, instructs us in John 1.17. He says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father 
has made him known. John says no one's ever seen God. No one has ever laid eyes on God. He's too lofty. He's too holy. But this one, this one and only son, Jesus himself, has made God known. Christ Jesus came into the world that we might know God. The same God who delivered Israel and Egypt. Friend, do you know him? Do you know this God? The one and only matchless one. Is he your God? Is he your God? See, Jesus would pray in John 17, verse 3. He would say, now this is eternal life, God. That these people know you. The only true God. To know him is eternal life. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God invites us to know him. He invites us to know Him. He privileges us with positions to know Him, to know Him through Jesus. And then like Moses and Aaron, like Israel, like Joshua and Caleb and David and Samson and Jonah, like the disciples, God calls us to serve Him. He invites us to know Him, and then He calls us to serve Him. To know and to serve Him. Pray that 2020 may be a year of of us as a body of believers, the church family, Meadowbrook Baptist Church, knowing and serving Him, longing to know Him more, to delight in Him, and to live for His glory. Friend, God wants you to know that He is God and there is no other. His plans are for all to know that He is God and there is no other. And get this, friend, He desires to use you and me to accomplish His plans. He desires to use us. God wants to use you. Christian, you are His his plan to promote His greatness. You are His plan to spread His gospel, the good news of salvation by His grace. You are His plan to grow His church. You are His plan to help others come to know that He is God and that there is no other. How so? God calls us to serve Him by speaking His word. Calls us to speak on His behalf. To be His representatives on earth. To be ambassadors of the King. God said to Moses, backing up to chapter 6, verse 29. He said, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, King of Egypt, everything I tell you. Moses, I'm the Lord. I'm your God. Go tell Pharaoh everything I tell you. Moses, use my word. It is reliable. It is authoritative. It is Sufficient to accomplish my plans through you. Chapter 7, verse 2, he says, You are to say everything I command you. Don't leave anything out. Moses, say everything I command you. And your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Moses, communicate my word. Speak on my behalf. Nothing more, nothing less. Report for me. That's what God tells his servant Moses to do, go talk to Pharaoh because he doesn't know me. Who is he calling you to speak to? Bill, who is he calling you to speak to? Maybe he's calling you to speak to your neighbor who doesn't know him. Teresa, maybe he's calling you to speak to a family member that doesn't know him. Toxie, maybe he's calling you to speak to a friend who doesn't know him. 
Daniel. Maybe he's calling you to speak to a classmate that doesn't know him. Who is he calling you to speak his word to, report his word faithfully? God invites us to know him. What a privilege. God calls us to serve him. What a purpose by speaking his word and by showing his power. By showing his power. Verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, and Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle and say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So God gives Moses and Aaron miraculous signs to accompany his word and God gives us transformed lives to accompany his word before the, before the world. In other words, God may not call us to throw a staff down and it become a snake. But God gives us transformed lives by the ongoing and active work of His Spirit in our lives as we walk with Him. Lives that demonstrate the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the might of God. Transforming sinners into His people. See, Jesus would say that the world will know that we are His people by the love that we have for each other. Not by the decal we put on our car, not by the way that we cast our votes. Certainly those things have a place and can be very important, can be telling. But Jesus said they would know that we are His. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, you are my followers, by the love that you have for one another. Transformed lives, lives shaped by the gospel of Jesus that demonstrate the goodness and the grace and the power of God. You see, as Moses prepared to confront Pharaoh, Moses, too, underwent a transformation. A transformation from an argumentative excuse maker running from the call of God to an obedient and responsive leader. He knew God and now he was ready to obey God. Friend, do you know God? Do you know him? Is he your God? If you know him, then surely, surely when he calls, you will obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. When He commands or demands, do what He says. Submit to Him. The truth is, God probably won't speak to you through a burning bush in the desert. He most likely will not call you in an audible voice in the night like He did with Samuel. He may not confront you with a blinding light on the Damascus road like He did with Paul. But He has spoken to you. He has spoken to me. He has spoken to us through His Word. And in His Word, the Lord instructs us on how to know Him and to live for His glory. Are you living for His glory? Do you know Him? Are you living for Him? Is He your God? You see, there's a pattern that emerges here in our text this morning that will be repeated again and again and again over the course of the ten plagues that follow. And it begins with a call to obey. Moses and Aaron, do this. Confront Pharaoh and do this. And like verse 10, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. They go to Pharaoh again and again and they do just as the Lord commanded. They obey the Lord. Obey the Lord. And as you obey, see His mighty judgment and His matchless power. See his mighty judgment and his matchless power. In the pattern of the plagues, Pharaoh's magicians imitate the the miracle. They try to do what Aaron and Moses do. They do it here with the rod to snake sign. And then again, they do it with the blood and with the frogs. And sometimes they can do it and other times they can't. A reminder that there are many counterfeit gods and cheap imitations of God in every single age. And we must beware of them. 
Do not be wowed by them. Do not bow to them. Be they gods of power or pleasure or popularity or prosperity. Do not worship them. Do not build your lives upon them. And again, we don't know if Pharaoh's men performed illusions or if they operated by the power of Satan. But either way, the central point here is the same. The gods of Egypt are no match for Yahweh. The gods of this world are no match for him. Verse 12, each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, shouting loud and clear, there is no God like Moses' God. There is no God like Yahweh, there is no God like this God. There is no God like our God. Friend, if you're searching for truth this morning, if you're searching for someone or something to believe, to build your life upon in an age of skepticism and relativism and tolerance and pluralism, look no further than the God of Abraham and and Moses and Aaron the God of Israel, the God of the tribes of Israel, the God of Ruth and Deborah and David, the God of Samson and Samuel, the God of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Josiah, the God of Matthew and Malachi, the God of Peter and Paul, of Polycarp and Irenaeus, the God of Augustine and John Knox and John Huss. He's been at this for quite a while now. Of Ulrich Zwingli and Martin Luther and John Calvin, the God of Charles Wesley and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards, the God of Billy Sunday and Billy Graham, the God of Jerry Hood and Toxie Dorset, the God of Ashley Gregory, the God of many of you that are gathered here this morning. Is he your God? Is he your God? Are you worshiping him? See, Moses would soon worship him in a powerful way. Moses would soon sing alongside his sister Miriam and the people of Israel. He would sing and he would celebrate The God who swallows the staffs of Pharaoh's army is the one who swallowed up Pharaoh's officers and his chariots and the armies in the Red Sea, delivering his people. Next is chapter 15, verse 12. He says, you stretch out your hand, God, and the earth swallows your enemies. Same word used to describe Aaron's rod swallowing up the rods of Pharaoh's magicians. God, you you, you swallow up our enemies. You, You have... Proved yourself. You have shown your mighty hand. See his mighty hand and his matchless power. Church, obey the Lord, for there is no one like him. Mighty and matchless, he is sovereign over all. He is sovereign over all, and yet he is the savior of the world, the one who swallows up not only the magician's rods and not only Pharaoh's chief officers in the Red Sea. He is the one who swallows up our chief enemy as well, death itself. Paul the apostle would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he would say, when the imper- when the perishable, when the perishable has been clothed up with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Friends, see the mighty judgment and the matchless power of the God who saves. His matchless power and mighty judgment of God displayed through the plagues in Egypt and displayed through the the cross of Calvary. See His might, see His power, see His mercy, and soften your heart to the Savior today. Soften your heart 
to Jesus today. Once again, the pattern established here continues on and on through the plagues. Moses and Aaron, obey me. Counterfeit signs demonstrated by Pharaoh's magicians. Yet the supremacy, the superiority, the matchless power of Yahweh pronounced, and yet even so, Pharaoh's unwillingness to surrender to him. Unwillingness to believe. Verse 13. Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. And we'll hear some version of that again and again and again as we read the plagues next week. Pharaoh encountering incredible might of God, undeniable signs of God, and yet no feeling for God. No interest in God. Insensitive, uninterested in the one and only God. Friends, soften your heart to the Savior today. Who is your God? Is He the God who saves? Do you trust Him? Do you believe in Him? Are you serving Him? Are you following Him? See, to hear of Him and to learn about Him is not enough. Pharaoh heard of him. Pharaoh, no doubt, knew about him, but he did not believe in him. You must believe in him. You must surrender to him, and you must trust him. What are you waiting for? He desires you and me and all the world to know that he is God, and there is no other. Is he your God? As we transition this morning, let me invite you to spend some time in prayer. Let me invite you as you are, where you are right now, to, to bow before the Lord, to spend time talking with Him. We encourage you to take these moments and commune with Him. Express your faith in Him, your belief in Him, your trust in Him, to surrender to Him. Perhaps you don't know Him. Maybe you know a lot about Him, but you've never surrendered to Him. You've never acknowledged that He is Lord. Let me urge you to do that now, to cry out to Him for salvation, to express faith in Him, to recognize before Him, to acknowledge before Him that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that His Son, Jesus, is that Savior. Let that be known to Him this morning. But perhaps for others, probably for the vast majority gathered here this morning, you have professed faith in Him. You know that His Son died to save you and to save me. He encourage you on this first Sunday of the new year to spend some time asking God to make Himself known to you in a way this year that perhaps you have not recognized or acknowledged in the past year or in months gone by. Ask Him to lead you in 2020 to know Him and to serve Him more. Just call you, invite you to do that now. Spend a minute or two in prayer. David will come in a moment and lead us in a hymn of response, but may all of us commune with him now. Let's bow before him together.